Hi, welcome to the first edition of Tales from Second Street. This is Doug Scott, and I'll be your host on this expedition. Since I was young, I've always loved to hear and share stories. When I was a kid, America listened to the radio. Radio was an interesting medium back then. It was the informational and entertainment internet of the time, of course, without the connectivity. There was also a lot of conversation in our homes back then. Times were very different. People seemed to generally have more time to talk to one another. We're from North Philly, and when I was a kid, most of our relatives lived within a 10-block area. We all had easy access to our grandparents, aunts, uncles, and cousins. And when we got together for some event, the conversation cascaded. I loved hearing these stories. My relatives shared everything. (laughs) They were a living history of our family, and their adventures were endlessly interesting and really really, really fun. I still enjoy listening to people, no matter where I am. I really can't help it. It's a habit, I guess. I found that the veracity of the teller isn't important. The magic is in the sharing of the tale. That's what I'll provide here at Tales from Second Street. You know, my late father awarded me the penultimate compliment as bullshit merchant extraordinaire. He'd say, you got it, boy, the family gift. And I was so proud when he said that because, you know, he really had to know my dad. He was kind of the dean of BS merchantry, a genuine authority in his own right. I'll try to hang on to my title and reputation by regaling you with a few fascinating minutes of stories about regular people and their adventures as they make their way through life. This stuff's not ripped from the headlines, but overheard at weddings and funerals and especially pre-pandemic on the bus, the train, and maybe after a few drinks at somebody's favorite watering hole. Today's story begins in a treacherous rip current and ends with a teenager on the back of a Harley experiencing the adventure of a lifetime. Have you ever heard of a rip current? As in the headline, hapless vacation or drowned in sudden rip current. Well, in beachfront communities like ours, rips are a way of life. We don't like them, but we're used to them and we respect them. Well, sometimes we respect them. You know how complacency works. Let me give you a little science lesson here. Rip currents develop from a series of events involving the direction of the wind, the slope of the beach, and erosion. There's something about tiny rivulets forming in the beach sand so that water washes up can flow back out into the ocean. Flow in, flow out. Flow in, flow out. Makes sense. Sounds innocent enough, right? Like, remember Mr. Miyagi's mantra, wax on, wax off. Well, if conditions are right, this innocent mechanical magic leads to the development of a many barely visible underwater rapids. We're not back in science class, so you can leave any time you like, but, uh, you know, just try to bear with me for just a half a second. I'll, it'll all make sense. When I go to the beach, the sounds and aroma of the rolling surf soothe me. It's hypnotizing. I love to dash out and thrash around in waves, and there's nothing like taking a dip in the ocean on a hot summer day, is there? Really. To the unsuspecting waiter, however, the unseen rip current can be a real eye-opener or a closer, depending on the expertise of your local beach patrol. At times, the stream can get so strong, it'll snatch up and propel you far out like a stone fired from a slingshot. Seriously, it's surreal, very scary, and seriously life-threatening. As aware of this phenomenon as I am, you know, because I read about it all the time in the local community paper, you know, because it happens a lot. Well, it happened to me, and wonder of wonders, I was surprised. Like, is this happening to me? Who? Right, you get it. Caca happens to everybody else, not moi. 
Anyway, one sizzling August afternoon, I was lounging on the beach enjoying some summer lazy with a dose of light reading. Since I'm a melanin-challenged white guy, my beach attire resembles that of Lawrence of Arabia. It gets very hot under my personal protective cover, so to restore myself, I'd often take a break from the heat and my tarot and head down to the refreshing surf. This particular afternoon, after cooking for a while in my burnous, I jogged down to the ocean and waded into the freezing knee-deep water. Hmm, just think about it. Crystal blue sky, blazing sun, hot sand, and then an ice water bath. Shocking, yes, but oh my goodness gracious, indescribable. Then, kablowie, a wave pounded in and knocked me right on my keister. As I struggled to right myself, I felt that slingshot thing I told you about and was launched by this invisible and incredibly powerful force. As I got my wits about, I noticed there were a bunch of other erstwhile waders floundering about and, like me, surprised as heck to find ourselves in water way over our heads. Weirdly, there was little apparent panic amongst us. I imagine we were all probably in some state of shock or something. There was, however, a degree of hysteria, but that was coming from the screaming, whistle-blowing lifeguards on the beach. Get back in here! Too far out! Yo, dude, get in! Rip current! <laughs> well, duh, like tell me something I don't know. One guy treading water furiously next to me between his gasps for air said, Christ almighty, stop screaming already. We're drowning out here. Have a little respect. How about that? A deathbed comedian. Anyway, most of our little pod seemed to be keeping cool, and it looked like we remembered what we were supposed to do in a rip and began swimming parallel to the beach and gradually broke out of the current's grasp. We all managed to catch the inflow as the guards made their way out to us, and were they ever pleased to see we were in no apparent physical distress as we headed inbound. We all landed flopping helder scout on the shore, gasping for breath. I'm laughing now, but it wasn't funny then. We must have looked like one of those fish kills, you know, involving small whales or something. Quite an experience. Short and anything but sweet. It was beyond scary. Absolutely terrifying. The power of unseen forces. Which leads me into the reason I'm writing this in the first place. I really think that sounds, especially like music, are unseen and powerful. Much like the rip. Thankfully without the drowning hazard. But think about it. The brain is our body's CEO and information gatekeeper, right? It censors the myriad information the world feeds us and attempts to make it tolerable for us. Music, on the other hand, jumps the turnstile. It sneaks in without a ticket and provides information that bypasses the brain's filters, unleashing cascades of unbidden memories and emotions in an unprotected, uncensored flash like zap. It's 1960 again. In its force and intensity, music is an emotional rip current, an invisible powerhouse. A couple of nights ago, I was caught in one of those streams, fortunately nothing actually to do with water. I was at home listening to some old Joan Baez tunes on Spotify. I'd never heard her sing James and the Gang. James is one of the few songs she wrote and performed. It's an interesting story that showcases, first off, her gorgeous voice and her skill as a troubadour. The song empathizes with her teenage son Gabe as he explores and attempts to make sense of his transition years. Coincident with the emergence of Gabriel's age-appropriate angst, reportedly the Baez home life, well, it was taking a turn south bunch of things going on and this was a really vexing period for all of them personally and professionally their circumstances at the time forced them to navigate 
the complicated hot mess known euphemistically as the new normal. That's so trite, that term, the new normal, isn't it? It means that your whole frickin' life has been turned on its head and you have to begin to navigate a new existence in a sense, really. According to reports about celebrity goings-on at the time, as teens will, Gabriel apparently hooked up with a dicey California beach crew of similar age. As could be expected, he reportedly found comfort in the security of an accepting group of peers and their more experienced charismatic leader, James. Next stop, of course, rabbit hole. Uh, it happened to all of us in one way or another, I think. I've come to expect gorgeous voice and guitar when I listen to Baez, but the nostalgic thrum in James just rocked me down to my socks and awakened memories of incidents I can't recall even thinking about. I was caught in a musically generated current. In James, Baez parallels experiences of abandoning her own coming of age with those of her son Gabriel. One incident she describes is riding on the back of a Harley going 105 down the coast highway with a lunatic spouting Bible verses at the helm. This and other experiences she recalled transported me back to my teen years in the early 60s and a nondescript gas station and a weird little incident of impulsive and exceptionally poor teenage judgment. Like a lot of teens, my friends and I developed an interest in cars. What they looked like and how they ran. One of the guys in our crew became infatuated with a clan of serious near-dwellers new to the community who operated a local rundown neighborhood gas station. Our friend Ronnie was enamored of these guys and started spending much of his free time at their garage. The rest of us became curious and wanted to see what was going on. What was the draw? What was the attraction to Chuck's super service? We went, we saw, and they conquered. The operators allowed us to hang around and watch them work on engines and defraud hapless patrons. I'm not kidding you. Ronnie told us how Chuck showed him how to do an oil change. He watched as Chuck, the expert, drained one customer's crankcase and actually replaced it with the oil he earlier drained from another. Can you imagine? Ronnie wondered if what Chuck was doing was okay. And in his uh, adolescent, early teen naivete, he simply asked Chuck, is that okay? Ronnie said that Chuck's face turned purple as he growled, who the freak is the mechanic here, you freaking genius? Just shut up and watch or get the frick out. Well, okay then. We knew the rule. There were many things going on there that begged for a robust Q&A, but we were enrolled in a bizarro educational paradigm where in school we were encouraged to ask questions. Here at the station, questions were anathema. Questions could get you exiled, or worse. If we picked up trash, swept, and kept our mouth shut, we were allowed to hang out in the loony bin. There we would learn about lube jobs and larceny. These guys and the hard-bitten characters that associated with them scared and fascinated the hell out of us. Once upon a time, the station was a lively little fixture in the neighborhood. Things changed over time, though, and the station's popularity faded as the locals diverted their patronage to places out on the major highway that were kind of more modern, I guess, cleaner. Whitey was a good guy. He was a really nice guy and all, but a real boozy Susie, if you know what I mean. The coup de grace from Whitey's occurred shortly after he lost his home to sheriff's sale. It was awful. Then he moved into the station's men's room and converted it into his living quarters. Quaint, but no Williamsburg by any stretch of the imagination. 
His drinking really got off the hook, and the neighbors would sometimes hear him after closing, yelling, cursing, carrying on in his men's room, comb, living quarters. It was all tile and cinder block, so it kind of like acted like a huge amplifier. The sound carried throughout the neighborhood, and it, it scared the kids and made the dogs bark. Pitiful. One night in late October, around the anniversary of his wife's departure, they say he was louder and his ranting more obscene than usual. Well, that night he apparently torched a customer's car while under the influence of Everclear and prune juice. According to the cops, anyway. No accounting for people's tastes, I guess. Hmm. Anyway, the fire was Whitey's swan song. The next day, his car was gone, as well as the few belongings from his living quarters. Adios, Whitey. It's been good. Well, then, enter the new proprietors. The brothers Chuck and Sid. The bad seeds of the family Karamazov. Criminals. Dirty. Mean and scary. We had never known people like this. We loved it. We couldn't get enough. Baez would have had a field day writing about this clown car. One toasty August evening, while sweeping and just hanging out, feeding our acne with tasty cakes and Pepsis, a couple of guys on Harleys blasted down the road and onto the tarmac. They apparently had some business with the brothers. We never saw these two birds before. They were a sight to behold. Bedecked in gang leathers adorned with enough studs... <laughs> To attract lightning, actually, with greasy blue bandanas wrapped around their heads, restraining their sun-bleached shoulder-length hair. We never saw anything like this. This was the 60s, you know. They were scary-looking and all, but their appearance kind of like evoked the same kind of reaction like if Elvis had dropped by. They parked the bikes, glared at us, snorted as they looked us over and shook their heads in apparent disgust as they sauntered across the tarmac into the office. Part of the attraction at Chuck's was the proliferation of weirdos that wandered in and out, but these guys, these guys were different. They oozed danger and were just way cool. But boy, did they stink. Whoosh. We were in awe of their bikes, beautiful electroglides. The machines somehow didn't fit the guys that drove them. These were magnificent, glistening black rocket ships with chromed everything. Glorious. We could see the bikers through the office's large stone pock plate glass window. They were drinking beer and engaged in conversation with the Karamazovs. One of them glanced out the window and saw us checking out the glides. Uh, uh, I saw him stand up, and as he approached the door, I thought, oh shit. And I told the guys, I think Handsome in there thinks we're messing with his bike. A chorus of oh shit ensued as the biker emerged and sauntered over to us. As he approached, I noticed his face was deeply burned by sun and wind. He had what looked to be a six-day stubble and deep creases in his cheeks, I guess from wearing the goggles. The area around his eyes where the goggles sat was absent of the color of his road rouge and looked like he was wearing a kind of like a weird-looking white mask. Visible under his open jacket was a grease-stained and torn t-shirt bedecked with a Confederate flag on the chest. Wow, dangerous. Did his knuckles really say love and hate? Was this guy from Central Casting? As he strolled over, he seemed to pick me out of the crew. I guess I must have stuck out because I was the tallest of our bunch. He stood in front of me, eyed me up and down, and with a sneer, riveted me with one of his eyes while the other seemed to be looking elsewhere. And through a mist of sour beer breath, he growled, Ride! 
My buddies looked around at one another as they stood waiting to see what was going to happen. I thought, right, is this guy frickin' nuts? But what could a 16-year-old kid say with the guys watching? What little reputation I had was at stake. I heard a voice say, wow, really? And realized it was me. Then a bit too cheerfully, sure thing. Oh my God, whoever just said that, please shut up. He gestured for me to head towards the rear of the bike. Feeling kind of ill, I smiled, looked around at my friends, and jauntily nodding my head up and down like an idiot, swaggered over to the machine. Remember, I had never seen this guy before. Only guys who looked like him in the movies and in pictures in the post office. After my driver mounted, I climbed on. The guy kicked the ignition and the engine caught with a little so much smoke I thought the damn thing blew up. The guy shouted for me to hang on to the back of the seat and go with it. Well, what do you mean, I screamed. You'll see, he said, just don't do nothing stupid. I thought, shit, I'm already doing something stupid going with you in the first place. I don't know what all the head nodding was about, but I kept doing it while grinning broadly at my friends. Then with a jerk, we roared off down the road. He was doing about 45 in a 25 zone. Actually pretty exhilarating. The suspension was wonderfully smooth. I couldn't believe it. It actually felt like we were flying. I could get used to this, I thought, as we blasted off toward the 105. We slowed as we pulled onto the ramp. He turned to me and with blazing bloodshot eyes shouted, Let's have us some fun! I thought, cripes, I thought we were already having fun. And by the way, who the hell is this guy? Close up, he looks like a frickin' vampire. I was still nodding. We hit the highway with another deafening blast. And as he stretched to look over his shoulder, I saw the speedometer in an instant shoot to 85 miles per hour. Now this was crazy. Crazy. Holy crap! Christ, forgive my sins, I thought it was like a movie. Everything was a blur as the lunatic at the wheel put his head back and laughed. Holy mother of God, save me. And please God, forgive me, scrolled through my head. I didn't pray this much when I was in church. We passed everything, everything on the road at such a rate it seemed traffic must be standing still. And when we passed cars, I could hear something that sounded like z- whoosh biker turned his head and out the side of his mouth cackled 85 and burst into gales of maniacal laughter. This was far more than I bargained for, but actually I hadn't bargained for anything. I had never even been this close to a motorcycle in my life, which by the way I thought I might be losing at any moment. Gradually my fear turned to tenuous excitement, you know, the feeling of freedom as we flew down the road. I could really see what the attraction was. Hearing and feeling the roaring engine juddering through your body with nothing between you and the elements. It was like nothing, nothing I had ever experienced. It occurred to me what would happen to us if we should go into a slide or hit something at that speed, but not much I could do about it now. I decided to follow my driver's instructions to just go with it. Well, all good things must come to an end, sob. We had a return, so we left the 105 behind and were relegated to heavily traveled surface roads and more restricted speeds. Imagine the guys and anyone with ears for miles around could hear us as we roared back down the road to Chuck's. We slowed as we came down the hill towards the station, and I could see my buddy standing around with the other biker. The guys were all excited and ran over to us as we pulled onto the tarmac. 
best buddy Bobby, say that three times fast, was first up and when the biker cut the engine, excitedly asked, well, how was it? I offered a smirk and while still doing that stupid head nodding thing said, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, real cool. The guys all started nodding and smiling, saying stuff like cool shit, you know, like fake tough guy talk. My driver sensed that he had scared me half out of my wits and seemed pleased with himself. Shame, he mumbled. Car problems. He said to the other biker, Well, he only got to 85. The other guy said, No shit. I tried to look disappointed and said, Yeah, no shit. They looked at the bike and at each other and then at me and burst out laughing. They composed themselves and regained their sullen demeanor and shook their heads and... <laughs> In apparent disgust. They were always looking like disgusted at us. Like, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it was crazy. I was shaking my head because I didn't know what else to do. The biker dude said they had to move out. The Karamazovs were standing by their door. They like toasted the bikers with their beer cans. And my new BFF and I did some kind of biker handshake. I guess that's what it was. He only, he only shook my hand and said, later. Well, that really excited my buddies. I was a star. The bikers gunned their engines and then disappeared in a roar and a cloud of smoke and a spray of oil-soaked sand. My buddies looked at me in awe. Wow, what a man. Just call me Rebel, I thought. In this case, Rebel with a cause. Rebel? Well, not much. Cause? To never, ever do anything as remotely crazy and stupid as this again. Thus ended my short-lived biker adventure. Not going 105 or as glamorous as the PCH, but memorable in its own madness just the same. So, yeah, the Baez song struck a chord. I hadn't thought of that incident in years. And when I tell my wife about it, if I tell my wife about it, I'll bet she'll accuse me of making up memories. I'm sure my memory has degraded as the years have passed, so there could be some embellishment or omissions here and there, but I'll never forget that ride. My kind of rip current. Thanks for the memories, Joan and Gabriel. We'd love to hear what you think about our work. Feel free to visit our website, talesfromsecondstreet.com. Talesfromsecondstreet.com. Submit your reviews and ideas. We'll be delighted to hear from you. This is Doug Scott, and until next time, watch out for the rip current.